Welcome to Disaffected. I'm Joshua Slocum coming to you from Dystopian, Burlington, Vermont. And this is the show where we talk about politics, culture, and relationships through a psychological lens. And this episode is being recorded on January 6, 2024. Happy New Year. I hope you all had a really good holiday. I got to see the sane side of my family, which was really nice. Got to exchange presents with them and with friends, which was also nice. There were some not nice parts, but I'm not going to tell you about them because let's start off the year on good footing, shall we? Speaking of which, I never know whether to name people because this is a controversial show. So I never know if people really want to be named, even the people who financially support the show. If you're ever wondering why you don't see people in the credits, it's because I don't know whether you guys want your name next to mine. Uh, So I'm not going to name this person, but she knows who she is. There is an artist, visual artist, who is a supporter of the show and a fan, and she sent the most fantastic uh, pieces of art. Uh, Let me show them to you. They are posters for the podcast, as if it were a motion picture, uh, with a Stanley Kubrick slash uh, the movie Network vibe to them. So the first one here is uh, this poster. I'm looking at myself in the monitor here to make sure that you can see this, okay, and that the lights aren't... Okay, you see all these lights? Disaffected podcasting will never be the same. Well, I'd like to think so. (laughs) And this one is fantastic. Disaffected, abnormal is the new normal. Thank you. These are going up on the wall in the studio. I appreciate it. Now, let's talk about former Harvard president Claudine Gay. I will recap it for you in case you don't know. Um, This past week, President, Harvard President Claudine Gay resigned. And you will recall that Ms. Gay and the presidents of MIT, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, and the University of Pennsylvania president appeared in, in a congressional hearing about a month ago. Uh, they were being grilled by Representative Elise Stefanik about the student demonstrations on the campuses of their universities, many of which were or were close to calls for Jewish extermination. Yes, yes, I hear you, viewers. I already know. I already know which of you are going to come at me for that. Sure, some of them were pro-Palestinian demonstrations or were called and labeled pro-Palestinian demonstrations. And yes, I do believe that many of the students involved meant simply to support Palestinians in Gaza didn't mean to support terrorism, aren't calling for Jewish extermination. I realize that it is possible to be on that side, if you will, of this issue and not be a raging anti-Semite who wants people dead. I give you that, okay? However, those demonstrations went significantly farther than that for many people. Um, Some of them were were pro-Hamas, pro-terrorist demonstrations. Um, And To that degree, calling them simply pro-Gaza, pro-Palestinian freedom is only true in the way that the Black Lives Matter riots were called by CNN, I think it was CNN, mostly peaceful protests. Now, 
all three presidents during that congressional hearing, all three university presidents refused to say that calling for the genocide of Jews was a violation of their campus conduct codes. Liz McGill, president of the University of Pennsylvania, resigned. Sally Kornbluth of MIT is still in her post. But this past week, Claudine Gay of Harvard finally resigned after significant pressure. And it was plagiarism that got her. It wasn't, the, uh, wasn't her feckless, well, feckless is a kind way to describe it. It wasn't her feckless testimony in front of Congress. It was the fact that she's an idea thief. So activist Chris Rufo, along with writer Chris Brunet, have been documenting Claudine Gay's plagiarism for at least a year. They've been writing about it on Substack, and they've been doing it with this specific and disclosed project. They've made no bones about it, this specific goal of getting her ousted, and it worked. They documented at least 50 instances of Claudine Gay lifting verbatim or near verbatim passages from the papers of other scholars, all of which, of course, were race-hustling DEI stuff, with the exception of some of the work that she lifted earlier from uh, black scholar Carol Swain, who is definitely not into DEI. She's a conservative uh, academic. Uh, and Claudine Gay, as many of these people do, also persecuted actual rigorous black scholars at Harvard who did real scholarship unlike hers. And she wrote a long, long resignation letter full of self-pity and maudlin drama about the, how the fight for racial justice at Harvard must never end. And I'm not going to read any of that to you because you could write it in your sleep. It's just like any other uh, series of uh, paragraphs of pablum that you hear from these people. It, it, it's auto-generated. Um, chat GPT is all you need, really. What I want to do is focus on the establishment reaction to her resignation about plagiarism, because it, frankly, it's astonishing. So let's go back, Kevin, to graphic one and take a look at what the Associated Press had to say. And you see here on your screen, Harvard president's resignation highlights new conservative weapon against colleges, plagiarism. It's not, you see, that plagiarism is wrong, which it always has been seen as wrong with universal agreement among colleges, universities, the media, universal agreement on that until this past week when Claudine Gay resigned, when an underqualified black diversity hire, a woman posing as a scholar, when she got caught doing it, then all of a sudden, we no longer have universal agreement that plagiarism is the worst academic sin, worthy of expulsion in a student, worthy of yanking tenure in a tenured faculty member. No, no, it's a new conservative weapon, according to the Associated Press, against black women. Victims, victims everywhere. I'm sure that they're sorry they couldn't get a trans in there too. Now, check out the Twitter community notes correction to that Associated Press post. This is one of the best things that Elon Musk did when he bought Twitter, uh, <clears throat> putting up uh, these so-called community notes uh, that, that correct or add additional contextual information. Leftist cultists on Twitter can no longer escape public opinion. They can't engage in preference 
falsification, which is what they've been doing uh, all up until Elon Musk bought Twitter, making it appear that their radical, hard left agenda, not even mainstream centrist, hard radical left agenda was agreed to by anyone and everyone who is a person of fine, moral, upstanding character. They can't do that anymore. So what does the community note say? Um, and also, you know what I didn't get myself for Christmas? I didn't get new borderline glasses. So I'm still, <laughs> I'm still, uh, I have a dollar twenty-five lorgnette here that I'm using. All right, yeah, put that, put graphic two back up, please, Kevin. Uh, so readers added context. Plagiarism is a breach of rules for Harvard University. Claudine Gay was ultimately forced to resign for a series of breaches of this policy. Plagiarism or application of the rules around plagiarism, therefore, cannot be considered a weapon. Correct. And then we have this response from New York Dep Democratic Representative Jamal Bowman. You may recall that Mr. Bowman has gotten into screaming matches in the Capitol building with conservative colleagues having emotional breakdowns while he yells and screams at them in the hallway about what horrible bigots they are who hate black people, hate trans people, hate Democrats. You may also recall that late last year he pulled a fire alarm in the Capitol building to stop a vote. Then he lied about it, claiming that he thought it was an emergency exit. He was pulling the he was pulling the switch for the emergency exit. <laughs> you know, the one labeled fire emergency. Well, cameras, CCTV cameras, they caught him ripping down the paper signs that said this is an emergency exit. I mean, we all knew he was lying, but it's right there on camera. And yet the media and the Democrats still pretended that he just made a mistake. Well, he got off with a fine, a ridiculously small fine, and a suspended sentence for doing the exact thing that Democrats claim Donald Trump did when he allegedly started January 6 riots trying to obstruct the business of Congress. This is what they claim that, that Trump did that, that, that makes him uh, an uh, insurrectionist because he told his supporters to, and I quote, peacefully and patriotically protest at the Capitol. Yeah, that was an insurrection. <laughs> well, back to Jamal Bowman. Here's Jamal Bowman's reaction to Claudine Gay's resignation. Um, he says, this isn't about plagiarism or anti-Semitism. This is about racism and intimidation. This makes no one safer. The only winners are fascists who bullied a brilliant and historic, I almost read histrionic, a brilliant <laughs> and historic black woman into resignation. 2024 will be a battle for truth, democracy, and our shared humanity. <laughs> I feel like I'm at a Peronist rally. This is a cluster B reversal, of course. This is a narcissistic reversal. It's racist, you see, to hold Claudine Gay to the same standards that even students at community colleges are expected to maintain. Don't steal other people's ideas and present them as your own, or don't plagiarize. Black people today in this country can get away with things that hardly any other group could dream of getting away with. 
There are zero social and often zero legal or professional consequences for any black person who steals, plagiarizes, assaults, extorts, or commits violent crime. That's, that's just the way it is. And it is that way. I've told you before, even two years ago, even during, even when I, it's the first year that Kevin and I were making this show, I could not bring myself to say anything like what I just said about capital B black people. Um, was I afraid of cancellation? No, because I'd already been canceled. Probably 20% of it was, was fear of further cancellation. Um, but 80% of it was that, that emotional hangover that I've talked about before. Having spent four decades of my life being an unreflective, unthinking, hard-left liberal, um, I had white guilt. Um, I don't have it anymore. So maybe, though, maybe we are watching the first stages of a cultural change. I hope so. Because America has been quite literally insane about the question of race since at least the 1960s. Today in 2023, Southern states are still required under some circumstances to draw their congressional districts along race lines. That is to favor black people in certain states and certain districts as if they need special helps that none of the rest of us need. Here's an article from the Daily Wire. I'll read you first and then I'll show you some quotes on the screen. A federal judge appointed by President Barack Obama upheld Republicans redrawn congressional maps in Georgia on Thursday. U.S. District Judge Stephen Jones had ordered new congressional maps to be drawn back in October following the U.S. Supreme Court's ruling on a case concerning black voters and the Voting Rights Act of 1965. The judge found, most recently, the judge found that the new map, they found the new maps to be in compliance. First quote here. The court finds that the General Assembly fully complied with this court's order requiring the creation of black majority districts in the regions of the state where vote dilution was found, Judge Jones wrote in his order. Next quote. Jones's ruling in October said that numerous state and congressional districts created in 2021 violated the Voting Rights Act and discriminated against black voters. GPB News noted, adding that the GOP-controlled General Assembly was then tasked with creating new maps that included an additional majority black congressional district, two additional majority black state Senate districts, and five new majority black districts in the state house. That is the House of Representatives in the state. No, not the state. Uh, the House of the U.S. House of Representatives. Excuse me. Why do we need black majority districts? I actually did a double take when I read that. And not just because <laughs> the original quote carried the capital B, <laughs> which I don't do. Black majority districts. We're talking about that like it's normal. That's, that's just normal. What? Why are black voters entitled to this? Imagine the screaming. Imagine the actual violent riots that would happen if anyone even spoke about the possibility, hypothetically, of creating white majority voting districts. This is naked racism. 
It treats black people as if they are all one person with one set of concerns, all with the same interests, and that those interests are different from normal American voter interests that the rest of us non-black people have, allegedly. Certainly, certainly they have different interests from white voters, we are, I assume, expected to believe. What are those interests? And what the hell do they have to do with the skin color of the voter? It's 2023. Why are we still doing this? When are we going to stop doing this? You know, having spent 20 years working in a nonprofit, a human services nonprofit, um, the majority of whose uh, governing board and volunteer corps were made up of, of lefty liberals, baby boom era lefty liberals, I got to know a lot of people who were young um, in the 60s. And these were people who volunteered, uh, some of them, to go down south and work on black voter registration drives, uh, to stand up for black people, uh, to march with them if there was a lunch counter protest, all sorts of things like this. Sort of like, a, and, and, and some of them participated in what you might call a 1960s version of an underground railroad where they would, they would help ferry uh, young black activists. These are, when these are all college-aged people in, in the 60s, you know, from one place to another uh, through racially hostile territory during the, the era of, uh, of, of the civil rights movement. And in talking to these people, many of whom really were Good-hearted people. They really did believe in, in their vision of social justice. It wasn't necessary. How do I say this? There were definitely some narcissistic and Machiavellian people who were doing this to be perceived as saviors. And there were a lot of people who, aren't, who weren't necessarily extraordinarily narcissistic, but they had uh, an interest, again, in, in being seen to be good white people. Um, but in talking to these people over the years, you know, getting up into their 70s and 80s, they were still talking about the South today in the 21st century as if it were the same South that it was in the 50s or 60s. I could detect no awareness among them that it wasn't actually dangerous for black people to drive through the majority of the South. Really? They really thought that the South was full of what we call sundown towns. You know, you better be out of town if you're black by the time the sun goes down or you're going to get lynched. This is disconnection from reality. Um, why? Here's one, one hypothesis. I'm sure there are other factors, but this one occurs to me. Baby boomers seem to build their identity on saving the world, what they called saving the world. And why did they do that? In order to compete with their parents, the silent generation who actually had to sacrifice during World War II to help save the world from the Nazis. I really do think it's that cheap. I do. It's, and, and, and today, in 2023, 2023, 2024, I'm going to be doing this for a couple of weeks. It's, it's really pathetic. But it is still going on. And it's still alive for these people mentally. We see America's racial hysteria in the reaction to a recent appearance uh, in front of voters, some kind of town hall style meeting by Republican presidential candidate Nikki Haley. And here's Haley at a campaign appearance being asked what the cause 
of the Civil War was. Please, um, what was the cause of the United States Civil War? Well, don't come with an easy question right again. I mean, I think the cause of the Civil War was basically how government was going to run, the freedoms and what people could and couldn't do. What do you think the cause of the Civil War was? I'm sorry? I'm not running for president. I, 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 I wanted to see uh, your view on the cause of the Civil War. I mean, I think it always comes down to the role of government and what the rights of the people are. And we, I will always stand by the fact that I think government was intended to secure the rights and freedoms of the people. It was never meant to be all things to all people. Government doesn't need to tell you how to live your life. They don't need to tell you what you can and can't do. They don't need to be a part of your life. They need to make sure that you have freedom. We need to have capitalism. We need to have economic freedom. We need to make sure that we do all things so that individuals have the liberties so that they can have freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom to do or be anything they want to be without government getting in the way. Thank you. And in, in the year 2023, it's astonishing to me that you answer that question without mentioning the word slavery. What do you want me to say about slavery? No, um, uh, you've answered my question. Thank you. Next question. You answered my question. Thank you. Okay. Snark first, substance later, because I'm a snarky gay. <laughs> Did you see her outfit, Nikki Haley? Straight out of 1988 JCPenney catalog. It reminded me of that uh, classic, well, I guess it's classic now, Saturday Night Live spoof commercial for mom jeans. You're not a woman anymore. You're a mom. You will love mom jeans. <laughs> now, I'm not a Nikki Haley fan. And her answer was weak. It was not deft politically. But the question was absolutely a gotcha question, and it was also retarded. That's right, retarded. What are we trying to suss out here about Nikki Haley? That slavery was bad? That Nikki Haley doesn't approve of um, chattel slavery? We're still doing this more than 150 years after the end of the Civil War. Yes, we are still doing this because we Americans have full blown hypochondria about racism. It's a legitimate societal mental illness, and we've been suffering from it again since at least the 1960s. If we could all step back and see this from the outside, we would see what lunacy this is. And the Democrats, of course, are right on script. Here's Democratic National Committee Chairman Jamie Harrison talking to the publication The Hill. He called Haley's answer, quote, a slap in the face to black voters. And of course, as you see on your screen, he looks exactly like you'd expect him to look. Black power now. Ah! Black power. <laughs> Here's a quote from I want to call him I want to call him Jame Harrison because that's how his stupid name is spelled J A I M E. <laughs> quote, this isn't hard. Condemning slavery is the baseline for anyone who wants to be president of the United States. But Nikki Haley and the rest of the MAGA GOP are choking on their words trying to rewrite history. DNC chair 
Jamie Harrison. <laughs> so everybody who wants to be president has to come out. <laughs> is this like a swearing in where you have to put your hand on the Bible or maybe the, the book of Kwanzaa rules and say, uh, slavery is not acceptable. May I please advance to the next stage of the presidency? Like I said, retarded. These people have nothing but confected outrage. They do not want a non-racist society. They do not want a colorblind society. They don't want what Martin Luther King wanted. They do not want equality. They don't. They want a perpetual state and perception of victimhood for black people because that is how they make their money and that is how they climb the social ladder and that is how they climb the political ladder. They are abusers and they are narcissists. Time for a break. We'll see you on the other side. Can't get enough of our love, baby? That's because you're not subscribed. Move that thumb over to the great big old subscribe button on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. We put out audio-only exclusive content that you won't get on any other video platform, so make sure you subscribe today. Looking for a non-woke place to put your money where your mouth is? Put it where my mouth is. Disaffected supporters get access to our private Discord chat server, backstage episode recording sessions, surprise guests, and more, and all it takes is $10 a month. You've got two options. Either Substack, visit us at disaffectedpod.substack.com, or go over to subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Remember, choose the $10 level or higher for Discord access. Welcome back. Can I give you another Vermont story? And as I've said before, we bring you stories about what's going on politically and culturally in Vermont and in Burlington because I, I would like you to see Vermont as a bellwether state for where the liberal agenda is going to go and, and really how it is going in places other than Vermont that you may not be aware of. Uh, because, you, you know, the old phrase about California, um, that all all new things, all good things, all bad things uh, start in California. Well, there's a lot of truth to that. As goes California, so goes the nation. I mean, you see that in terms of how um, so many states around the country have adopted California's uh, automobile emission standards, even when they make absolutely no sense. I mean, states like Vermont have pegged, uh, pegged their emission standards to California. We're a state of like 660,000 people. I mean, it is the sparse, sparse population here. Um, <laughs> and it, yeah, that's a tangent. I'll, I'll do that some other time. So we bring you these stories because I'm here and I see this stuff and I know that it's going on in places like Minnesota and places like um, uh, the left coast, Oregon, Washington, California, but also in other places around the country. And the mentally ill left, and I don't know how else to describe the left today. 
I, I know, you know, it, you know that commentator Michael Savage, the radio host? He was another one of those people that I never listened to back when I was a liberal and a leftist, just like I never really listened to Rush Limbaugh. Um, I had opinions about them. I thought they were horrible, capital B, bad men, because I'd heard one or two of the same sound bites recycled over and over and over. I heard one of Rush Limbaugh's jokes about AIDS, um, which now I find hysterically funny. Um, but I never actually listened to them. But I remember the first time somebody turned on Michael Savage on the radio and I heard him repeat his off his his frequent claim that leftism or liberalism is is a mental illness. And of course, I had that immediate emotional reaction to that. How dare you? You bastard, patriarchal, right wing, evil, scum, fascist. You know, I was a puppet. Well, I am Michael Savage <laughs> because I don't know how else to describe the left and, 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 and not not like how I started on this show with Kevin in 2021 when we first started when I used to say the hard left or the, the radical left or the woke left. Eh, that's gone. That The radical hard woke left is now the mainstream left has been for a couple of years now. I don't know how else to describe them. But the mentally ill left wants no part of America unsullied by their insanity and their depravity. Here's a happy story that ran just a few days ago, I think it was January 4th, from our local CBS television affiliate, WCAX in Burlington, Vermont. Um, what you're gonna see here, this is a story about monetary grants for eight lucky rural libraries, keep rural, in your head here, so that they can get a free drag queen story hour. <laughs> you know what that is, right? That's when um, drag queens dress up in drag and read stories to children at libraries or in classrooms because how else will the children learn their ABCs? Certainly not at school. They're not going to learn how to read in school because they're using that whole language crap. Nobody uses phonics anymore, which is why Gen Zs and half of millennials are illiterate. So while you watch this story, it's about three and a half minutes, I want you to please pay attention to a couple of things. Number one, look, look, take visual notice of the people, the subjects depicted in this story. Notice their apparent physical health and notice their weight. Yes, their weight. From the children, to the parents, to the advocates, to the performers, to the adults standing around. Just look at these people. And then listen to their voices. Notice the similarity of the vocal affectations and the accent that they use, no matter who they are. We can roll that now, please, Kevin. Is bringing drag story hour to more communities. The Vermont chapter of Drag Story Hour says the library readings of kids' books provide representation and education for queer youth. But some believe drag isn't for kids and should stay in the nightclub. As Laura Ullman reports, the new effort puts Drag Story Hour in rural communities where it has faced the most opposition. Just add glitter! Silly stories, arts and crafts, and plenty of glitter. That you know why you sparkle? Why? Because of the kindness in your heart. Mm -hmm. Because of the imagination in your brain. Learning with laughs. 
I like it because it includes what are you, some really fun stories to listen to, um, and uh, both Emoji Nightmare and Cat Ernest are all really funny people. Dax Doobie, who uses they-them pronouns, has been going to Drag Story Hour since they were two. Mom Hillary Doobie says Drag Story Hour has allowed her child to express their gender identity in a positive and authentic way. They're completely themselves all the time, and it's really cool to see that celebrated in spaces like this. It's something Justin Marsh, known as Emoji Nightmare and Drag, wishes they had as a kid. I was a queer kid in rural Vermont, and uh, this wasn't available to me. Marsh grew up on a farm in Cambridge. In the 90s, they say there weren't resources for LGBTQ kids to learn about their identities. And I think that's what's really important about not only Drag Story Hour, but organizations like Outrage Vermont. They're really allowing space for youth to arm themselves with the knowledge of gender and sexuality. Marsh hosts Drag Story Hour with Cat Redness, known as Katniss Everqueer in drag. Bodies are cool. The two have done events across Vermont and into New York and New Hampshire. The program not only includes reading, but also dancing and sign language. The books highlight LGBTQ history makers, non-binary identity, trauma recovery, and body positivity. At story hours, especially when we're going to really rural areas, it might be the first time that a family or a child has seen themselves represented or seen their neighbor represented, or that just gives them language to express their feelings. Now, thanks to CAS from the Vermont Community Fund, they plan to bring drag story hours to more rural <laughs> communities that may not have the resources to cover the cost. But rural areas are where these queens say they face the most backlash. It's traditionally an adult entertainment. Leon Rideout is a parent and veteran in Lancaster, New Hampshire. He was one of the voices that inspired Lancaster's library board to cancel drag story hour earlier this year using their adult entertainment stage names for the event and I just and most people felt it was age inappropriate. Ride Out is not alone in his concerns. Drag story hours have led to fierce opposition nationwide and Marsh says the cancellation of their event near Glen Falls, New York caused the library to temporarily close for over two months. Anyone who actually showed up here would know that what this is is pure care for community, pure silliness, character, and a ton of glitter. Redness and Marsh say like actors, they adapt to their audiences. And if we're around children, if children are around us, we're going to speak a little bit differently than we might be if we were just hanging out with our friends at night or out at a restaurant or at a bar. Applications are open for libraries across Vermont to apply for a free drag story hour. Eight rural libraries will be selected to host Emoji and Katniss this summer. The deadline to apply is February 2nd. In the studio, I'm Laura Ullman, Channel 3 News. Laura, thank you. Yeah, thank you, Laura. Thank you. Did you see how morbidly obese almost everybody was in that piece? The parents the drag queens, the children. Did you hear, did you hear how they all spoke? They were all using a version of the voice with vocal fry at the end and up speak, upward inflection and tone at the end of a statement so that everything sounds like a question.
This is and that one I went yeah, I'm going to I'm going to ride this. I'm going to pick on this. That guy Justin Marsh whose drag persona is emoji nightmare. It, it, this is <laughs> I've talked about linguistic uniforms before. This is an example of adopting a linguistic uniform. A certain cadence, a certain intonation, a certain accent is a conscious affectation. Now, I know about affectation because I have some of them, but I can tell you that when I was a younger man, when I was a, a teenager and into my 20s, I spoke, don't laugh, yes, it could be worse than it is now, I spoke even more gay than I do now. And I can tell you that when you do it for years and years and years, that affectation does become second nature and it, does, it feels natural to you. It's not, but it can feel that way through repetition and habit. But the, uh, this is an affectation because this guy, that's not how this guy's voice sounds. He's speaking like this. But he's using his head voice. It's not coming from his chest at all. He's getting it all up here coming out of his nasal cavity. He's not really putting anything in there you know, with any weight because this is what's going to make him sound more feminine. The difference between that and speaking like this where it actually comes from your chest and allows your voice to resonate. I mean, that you know, I can switch this on and off. These people can switch this on and off too. You are not looking or listening. I mean, I know it's obvious. Look how fake they are. But there's nothing genuine about this. There's nothing genuine about that presentation. And then this 10-year-old boy Dax Doobie. Dax, really? Did you name him after a Deep Space Nine character? I think you did, didn't you? Well, it sounds gender neutral and sort of sci-fi-ish, right? This 10-year-old boy, I assume, looked like a boy. Who knows? Is so fat at 10 years old that he's got... I, and it, I, I just, it is, he's already so fat that he's probably developing coronary artery disease. I'm not making fun of this kid. I had early onset coronary artery disease. That's why I had a heart attack at 36. My God, I, did, I wasn't like this kid though. And he uses they, them pronouns and the reporter naturally repeats them. 10-year-old Dax Doobie, who uses they, them pronouns, said they wish they had. It's, it's, God, this is creepy. It's child abuse on display. And it, it's not only, it's not only the mental programming, it's not only the sexualization of children, but this whole thing, the, the normalization of morbid obesity. And I'm harping on this, not because I'm trying to pick on fat people. You know, I'm carrying 30 extra pounds myself. I'm well aware of it. But the level of obesity is physically dangerous to these people, to these children. It's, this should not be normal. Mm. So, you know, the left wants no part of America unstained with its perverse interests and, frankly, its personality disorder. There's a reason that these people are targeting the rural areas of Vermont that are lived in by ordinary, working class, and generally more conservative people. If you're normal, they intend to take you by the back of the neck, 
and push your face down into their shit on the floor and rub it all over you and make you eat it. That's what this is about. This is humiliation and it is intentional demoralization. They want no place, no hamlet, no village, no farm, no region. They want you to have no escape. But especially, they want your children to have no escape. All right, we're going to close out this and we're going to come back to finish out the show. This is a good time. This is one of the Get Your Notebook episodes. We are going to take you through an actual exchange with somebody who almost certainly has borderline personality disorder. And we're doing it because it's going to show you some of the tells and some of the um, early warning signs that you can pick up on that will help inform whether or not you want to remain in contact with somebody or whether you want to get out of Dodge. So see us after the break. Can't get enough of our love, baby? That's because you're not subscribed. Move that thumb over to the great big old subscribe button on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. We put out audio-only exclusive content that you won't get on any other video platform, so make sure you subscribe today. Looking for a non-woke place to put your money where your mouth is? Put it where my mouth is. Disaffected supporters get access to our private Discord chat server, backstage episode recording sessions, surprise guests, and more, and all it takes is $10 a month. You've got two options. Either Substack, visit us at disaffectedpod.substack.com, or go over to subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Remember, choose the $10 level or higher for Discord access. Welcome back. Again, get out your notebooks. This is a good one to take notes on. I'm calling it Borderline Breakdown. Yes, it's a double entendre. Let me set this up for you. We're going to be looking at a text conversation between Kevin, the producer of the show, and a casual acquaintance that took place recently. I'm going to give the guy a pseudonym. We're not going to show him. He's not a public figure. We're not going to invade his privacy. I'm going to call him Roger. The acquaintance is Roger. Now, Kevin, we have discovered in talking to each other, is something of a cluster B magnet. He seems to enjoy interacting with them. Um, on this show, we talk about how to detect cluster B type behavior in communications and we try to tell you what some of the tells are so that you can, you can get an early warning and you can decide if you want to go further communicating or having a relationship uh, with somebody. And this is something I also talk about um, in my consulting, my, uh, my private coaching and consulting practice, which you can find at joshuaslocum.net. You can book me for an hour if you want to talk to somebody who knows Cluster B inside and out. And 
one thing to say about this before we go is text only communication like social media, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, uh, Discord, Substack, whatever it is, text only communication it, it, it almost seems designed to bring out cluster B behavior. There are lots and lots of people who are not actually globally personality disordered, but they will act in cluster B ways on social media. It's happened to me. It happens to a lot of people. There's something about the way it's set up, the lack of contextual cues, the fact that text-only communication, social media appeals to our our vulnerabilities, our, our vanities, our fears, our defensiveness. Um, it brings out the kinds of behaviors that when you see them consistently in a person across all domains, you would say, it looks like that person has a personality disorder. So some of that is, is an artifact of text-only communication. We have to grant that right away. But what you're going to see here goes beyond that. Sometimes you can start to get little cluster B clues in conversations. It starts light and then it ramps up. This is most of a conversation between Kevin and Roger. Here's how it went. Um, and it, you know what? No, I'm going to save the description for later because I don't want to prime you. Um, which means this is why I do paper. Also, because if an iPad breaks, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just have a breakdown on camera and start screaming about technology and how I'm not going to take it anymore. <laughs> My God, how many pages do I have? Description. Okay. Let's start out with um, the beginning of this text exchange. So we'll put it up on your screen here. Um, Roger says, hey, sorry, he's texting Kevin. Roger texts Kevin, hey, sorry, I was sleeping earlier. I see you're, I see you're dating someone in the last pic. He means the last picture that Kevin sent him. Good for you. You look good. How did the house come out? I'd love to see it and smoke. I'm really depressed and could use a friend to talk to. Kevin responds. The second person who thought that was someone I was dating. Uh, he means you are the second person who thought that that person in the picture was someone I was dating. Um, that's actually the autistic kid I was taking care of. We were on a road trip and I was trying to produce a show from the hotel. Roger responds. I don't know any of that since you stopped talking to me after losing your phone. Uh, here we go. I don't know any of that since you stopped talking to me after losing your phone. We start right out. Do you hear the accusatory tone? This is something you did to me. Losing your phone is something you did to me. That's the implication. And notice that it, it doesn't even make sense because... Kevin can't talk to Roger if he's lost his phone and lost his contacts, which is what happened, right? 
And Kevin loses his phone a lot. It's something that any of his friends should be used to by now. This is just par for the course, okay? It's part of being friends with Kevin. Let's go to the next one. Kevin says, yep. Sorry about losing your number. I lost a few of them. It's just so complicated uh, now. If you don't add it right away, it's gone forever, possibly. Roger responds, okay, dot, 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 dot. Adding my number is complicated. I'm confused on your last few words. Do you feel it? Do you feel it in your gut? Those of you, especially those of you who come from Cluster B Homes, do you feel it? Because as soon as Kevin showed me this exchange, I could feel it in my gut. I know what this is. I know where it's going. So he goes, okay, dot, 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 dot. That's suggesting that Kevin said something unbelievable or something obviously false. Where's that coming from? What is unbelievable or obviously false about I lost my phone and I lost a lot of contacts. Nothing. There's nothing unbelievable about that. Unless you're paranoid. Adding my number is complicated. What you're starting to see here, right at the beginning of this conversation, are typical borderline abandonment fears peeking out. That's what this is. This is fear of abandonment. Well, the fear is already there. He's already decided at this point in the conversation that he's been, quote, unquote, abandoned by Kevin. That's why he's acting this way. Let's go to the next one. Kevin writes, no, what happened was I did not add it quickly enough. That is the guy's phone number. I had just been responding back and forth to the pre-existing text messages. But when I lost the phone, that went away and it was never committed to the address book. Roger responds, and FYI, I've messaged you a dozen times in October, November, and December, and you never answered me. It just said read, and whatever time you read it. Kevin responds, this number, this telephone number? Roger, yes, you're still in my phone. So Kevin offers a normal explanation of normal texting behavior and Roger won't accept it. He won't even acknowledge it. When I say a normal texting behavior, I don't know what the word is. I've been looking for a good succinct way to describe this. Um, Kevin is one of these people. I'm one of these people. Some of you may be one of these people um, who there are more people out there in the world trying to contact Kevin or trying to contact me than either of us has time to keep up with. I'm trying to say this in a way that doesn't sound self-aggrandizing because it's not like, you know, I'm very important. I'm a celebrity and Kevin's a really important sort of celebrity type guy. It's not about that. It's, it's just a reality. If you are in the media business, which Kevin has been in as a professional for a long time, if you're somebody like me who has a show, even small though this one may be, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds more people who would like to talk to me then I have time to talk back. There's a numerical imbalance. You can't possibly keep everybody in your phone and you can't possibly remember everybody either. That's just normal. We have one human brain. This guy won't accept it. Roger won't accept it, but he already has an agenda and he's not going to do normal give and take with Kevin. This is a point, if you if you were in a conversation like this with somebody that you are casually acquainted with, these are big red flag warning signs that should be 
prompting you to evaluate how much further you want to continue, not only the conversation that you're in at the moment, but whether you want to continue any sort of relationship or contact with this person in the future. Um, you know, it's a the, Roger here is a is a casual acquaintance of Kevin's who's acting as though he's Kevin's best friend, and that they're operating under best friend rules. They're not. This is a that's another early warning for possible cluster B personality pathology, particularly borderline personality disorder. When someone acts as though when they just meet you, when you're when you're fresh to each other, when they act like you're already super close, you share all of your intimate secrets, you have a lot of love and emotional investment in each other, clang, 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 that's a fire bell telling you something's wrong here. That's not normal. Someone acting as though you're assuming that kind of intimacy early in a relationship and acting as though a very new friendship is already a deeply entrenched one is a warning sign. Let's go to the next one. This he shows Kevin with a screenshot that, yeah, like I said, you are in my phone. Shows a picture of Kevin and his contacts in his phone. Kevin responds, weird. Nothing ever came through after the Arizona one. Um, and I think Kevin is referring to a text he got while he was um, uh, out uh, doing some business in Arizona. Um, but, but you know why he sent this picture, Roger? To prove to Kevin that Roger is a friend to Kevin, but Kevin is not a friend to Roger. Cheeky. Next one. <laughs> this is where it gets really good. Roger says, IDK, I don't know. You sound like you are full of drama, man. And I don't know if I want to be around that. Oh, then Roger says, this, quote, autistic, end quote, kid, still in your life or around you like that? <laughs> Actually, I'll just let Kevin speak for it. I won't, I won't narrate this for you. This is Kevin's response. Projection. You are always full of drama and you are projecting it onto me because of some confusing text message that said it was apologizing for my drugged behavior, please. Kevin continues, second of all, there's no reason to put scare quotes around the word autistic. He is in fact autistic. It does not need quotes because it is a thing. <laughs> Notice the reversal. Actually, I'm going to go back here so I can connect these two. Kevin's last thing he said before this uh, this started up, nothing ever came through after that text from Arizona. And Roger's immediate response is, I don't know, you sound like you're full of drama, man, and I don't want to be around that. You sound like you're full of drama, he says to Kevin. Now, audience, who in this conversation strikes you as the more dramatic of the two parties, Kevin or Roger? Um, and, and, and also, these are highlights of the conversation. We couldn't get every single text in here and still have it make sense because it assumed a lot of knowledge outside of here. But we have done, uh, we have done our best uh, to put this in chronological order uh, and make it make sense. We're not leaving out anything intentionally that, that would color the meaning or to make this guy look bad. So you'll simply have to trust us. Uh, and, and again, yeah, really, why is the word autistic in quotes? He's implying that Kevin is lying 
and that that the friend who showed up in that picture was actually Kevin's boyfriend. I can tell you that I know both of these men. I know Kevin and I know that uh, not Roger. I've never met Roger, but I do know the friend who was depicted in that picture. And they're not boyfriends. They've never been boyfriends. Um, this young man is, in fact, somebody that Kevin was giving a place to live to, helping him so that he wouldn't be homeless. There was absolutely nothing exploitative and nothing sexual about it at all. This is a kid with autism and some emotional and learning difficulties. Kevin did a charitable thing for him. Um, Roger doesn't want to hear that because in Roger's word, of course, in Roger's world, he's that kind of gay. There's no such thing as having a platonic friendship with another man. It's always sexual. All right, next one. <laughs> Kevin responds, I think I'm detecting a bit of annoyance or something I don't like. Mm, yeah, I think I am too. Roger says, no, I'm not. I'm just sad because of getting laid off November 1st and I have no income. Sorry for being sad and feeling like a loser over it. Oh my God. I'll just get through the whole thing. Kevin responds, again, Okay, well, don't lecture me about drama, and I won't lecture you about this. And we can be on even footing and not have any problem with each other, okay? <laughs> Roger keeps going, and I'm not projecting anything. You're coming at me with all of these things that happened, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> and then she was like, okay. And then he was like, okay. And then I was like, okay. And we were all like, okay. <laughs> you know... Background, audience, this is the fourth or fifth time that Roger has told Kevin within two within the past two years that he's been laid off or fired from a job. Fourth or fifth time. So that's where Kevin's again was coming from. Roger offloads his bad behavior onto external circumstances, external locus of control. And he acts as though Kevin is obligated to accept that bad behavior as if people like Kevin were an emotional heat sink for his excuses, right? This, this kind of thing, specifically the, the, the statement, sorry for being sad and feeling like a loser over it is almost verbatim what my mother repeatedly said to me when we were still in contact with each other. My mother, of course, having both borderline and narcissistic personality disorders. When I would express concern about my mother's volatile mood, um, and it could be uh, raging anger that would then collapse into um, inconsolable crying uh, and collapse right into depression. When I would express concern about that and ask her if it might be a good idea, would she like me to help her find a therapist? Can I schedule a doctor's appointment for her? She would explode at me and she would say, and this is as close to a quote as I can give you. Remember, I lived with my mother and I've known her you know, all of my life. Sorry, it's too fucking much to ask that you help cheer me up when I'm depressed. This is, this is a 60-year-old woman at this point when my mother was saying these things to me. <laughs> Come on. Oh, well, she also said things like that to me when I was still a minor living in her home. So Roger reverses. He accuses Kevin of doing exactly what he, Roger, is doing. Notice that Kevin has initiated zero drama in this conversation. Next message. Kevin says, I messaged you to say Happy New Year and to see how you were. 
um, and he's responding to the depression thing. Understandable, I have a similar thing sometimes too. Roger's next response to that. Okay, you are acting wild now. I will let you go. <laughs> Bitches be wildin'. <laughs> Kevin responds. It, 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 asynchronous communication. It's stressful. I get it. He's still being sympathetic. Kevin is. And then, then Kevin says, how am I acting wild? I'm telling you that it's understandable. And he means I'm telling you your depression is understandable. Okay, you are acting wild now. I will let you go. Yeah, I'm going full voice now. Uh, um, no, you won't, Roger. No, you won't let him go. That's not what you're aiming for in this interaction. You're acting wild. What? Next, next one. Roger says, yes, and you're adding to it, so please leave me alone right now. I'm still in bed and very sad, and I myself have a lot going on with my hernia mesh failing, and I'm in horrible pain from it. Kevin responds, no, you are adding to it and being a borderline. I don't want it, and I don't need the projections. And I'm not going to take responsibility for your behavior. Get yourself together and call me when you are. Nicer than I would have been. Please leave me alone right now. Bitch, you're the one who started this whole thing. Look at this reversal, right? You know, and Kevin calls him right out. Kevin calls Roger right out as the borderline that he is, that he very clearly is. Um, and, I, you know, audience, I know you're only seeing a text conversation here. Kevin has had this acquaintanceship for long enough. We've talked about this. I concur with, with Kevin's assessment, um, even outside the context of this. Um, I've seen how this guy interacts. He's absolutely, absolutely borderline. Um, but this, what Kevin is doing here is a dicey move. I'm not recommending it necessarily. You need to think really carefully about how to respond to people like this. Understand that if you respond to them the way Kevin is responding, you risk a complete meltdown and you, you risk actually entangling yourself in, in much more serious and ongoing drama. Um, if your goal is to get away from a person like this or to keep a lid on the histrionics and to keep some distance, never tell somebody that they have a personality disorder or that they're mentally ill because that pretty much guarantees that they are going to have a meltdown. And yes, I know, you see me do this on social media. I, I engage sometimes this way too. I have a particular purpose for doing so. Um, and I will sometimes come right out and say, yeah, you know, this person interacting with me is displaying all the signs of borderline, all the signs of of of, of uh, sadistic narcissism. Um, I'll call them right out and I'll say this looks absolutely like a personality disorder to me. But if this is someone in your real life, not just some collection of pixels on social media, be careful. And Kevin knew before this conversation what Roger was like, what kind of character Roger had. So none of this was a surprise to him. Um, and he already knew that there might be some fallout and had already made the decision to accept that. But just keep that in mind when you decide how you're going to respond. Next one. Um, Kevin says, we stopped talking because I lost your number. I know enough about the behavior and language that I'm seeing right in front of me and that I can read in plain English. <laughs> Roger responds, now you're a borderline. Anything else you want to assume the spotlight on this morning? 
<laughs> Roger, honey, it's not Kevin who's in the spotlight today. It's you. <laughs> no, you're the borderline. No, you. Yeah. What's that? What's that schoolyard saying? Every I can't remember. Um, bounces off me and sticks to you like glue. I can't remember the rest of it. This is a perfect parallel to how online radical feminists, who the kind that I actually really do think have borderline personality disorder, the ones who do, uh, this is exactly how some of them come at me on Twitter. Uh, the minute I say something they don't like, I could say it mildly. I could say it with, with drama. I could add some histrionics to it, you know, some hyperbole. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter my tone. Doesn't matter how reasonable my observation is. If it's something they don't like because it criticizes a woman's behavior, they immediately come and say, "You're the cluster B, Josh. You're the cluster B. You say everybody has a personality disorder." I got one last night um, um, from an obnoxious, um, very smart, and, and it's unfortunate that her her character is what it is. But I got one from uh, a very online radical feminist last night um, who. Uh, just responded like really acontextually to one of my tweets um, like, well, who isn't cluster B in your world, Josh? Who is that? I'm like, what have you been talking about? And then, of course, it was like, you're and then one of her friends is like, you're the borderline. You're doing it. You're doing it. It was a practically spittle fleck full of misspellings and, and odd, like all capitalized words and all this sort of stuff. And my tweet wasn't even there was nothing crazy about what I said. Anyway, moving along. Next one. We're getting to the end of this, uh, but I hope you're learning something. <laughs> Roger says, I'm going to let you go. You are totally on drugs and I'm not getting involved with you. You need help, man. Leave me out of your life. Kevin responds, none of this is the problem right now. The problem is your stress because of the job and the income. Let's just stop this for now and talk later. Roger responds, no talking ever again or later. And then Kevin responds, projective identification. <laughs> As a reminder, projective identification is when somebody projects their bad characteristics onto somebody else who's not displaying those characteristics to the point that they provoke that other party into behaving badly or losing their temper so that they can become the actual villain that that person wanted them to be in the first place. That's that's exactly what Roger is doing, trying to do anyway. You're on drugs. Where is that coming from? Where is that coming from? You need help. Leave me out of your life. Huh? Notice that Kevin, throughout this conversation, has given Roger several off-ramps. He's actually been very kind. He may have been direct about the borderline thing, but he's given him plenty of opportunities to back down gracefully and to save a little bit of face. He didn't have to do that, but he did do it. Roger won't take that. Um, he won't have any of that. Goodbye forever! Next one. Roger continues, you aren't helping anything. Kevin says, I don't need to help anything. I'm just not going to be under attack with bullshit. Roger, Kevin, you're not a doctor. You're an at-home TV cameraman. Please stop. <laughs> Reminded of Ming Stoll from Serial Mon. Mom, I'm a divorced woman. Please help me. <laughs> mm. 
Kevin responds to that, you're not a doctor, you're an at-home TV cameraman. I don't need to be a doctor to recognize what I clearly see, which is probably what everyone clearly sees, which is probably why it's hard to keep a job. Just a theory. <laughs> now, kindly get the fuck off my porch. <laughs> You're not helping anything, Roger says. Like, it's Kevin's job to help him. In what way and why? You're not a doctor. This is don't diagnose. That's just don't diagnose. You're an at-home TV cameraman. He needs to belittle Kevin because he is feeling ego. His ego is suffering right now. So he needs to belittle uh, Kevin. And, and it's not true, actually. Kevin has physical media production studios in five cities around the country. He's not an at-home TV cameraman, except when he does this with me. <laughs> because I'm budget. Cluster bees need to degrade others because they feel so insecure and they are so aware of their own inadequacies. Or sometimes, not even inadequacies, sometimes they actually could do the thing that they don't think they can do, but they've talked themselves out of having the ability to better regulate their emotions. Next, I think this is next to last. Oh, oh, we got a few more. We're going to keep going. Roger continues, and he says, you are attacking yourself with these made-up logics you have of me, and you're all wrong. Now leave me alone, or I'm calling the police to say someone high on drugs is harassing me. I'm in bed, not on your porch. Something is really wrong with you, man. Kevin was just saying, get off my porch. It's just one of those expressions. He wasn't actually saying that Roger was physically standing on his porch. So ridiculous. So Kevin responds at this point, you're decompensating. You need help, Roger. And you're a drug addict who won't admit it. Leave me alone, Kevin. Something is really wrong with you. I'm going to call the police and say someone high on drugs is harassing me. You know what? You sound like a spurned uh, borderline ex-wife. I'm going to tell Child Protective Services that you hit our baby so that I get full custody. Fuck you, man. See, now I'm pissed. They, the, the, these people will fucking lie and they will make this shit up and they will try to involve legal t entanglement in your life. Someone high on drugs is harassing me. You know what? Given all the projection, I think the question to ask ourselves right now, it's a question to ask yourself if you get somebody talking to you this way who makes that accusation, what drugs is he taking right now as he does this? Because he is. That didn't come from nowhere. It came from inside. Reversal. Kevin is right that, that Roger is decompensating. He knows he's been seen, Roger does, for the borderline that he actually is. And he's not happy about it. Understandably, but that's what's going on. Kevin is not a drug addict. <laughs> now, as we get to the next one, you need to a note on timing here. Between the last one I read to you and the one I'm about to read to you, three solid hours took place with no communication between the two of them. So this just popped in three hours later. Roger says, hello, 
I am letting you know that I am pressing charges on you for harassing me and talking the shit you did to me this morning. I informed the authorities how you're a drug user, so be careful when approaching you because I don't know what you're capable of doing when you're high. I do. I've been high with Kevin on the, on the sofa. What he's capable of doing is putting together a Christmas show. Roger continues, the Ravina Town Police and Greene County Sheriffs. If I have to go to the state troopers, I will. You need help, Kevin. He's calling the police. For what? He's been nursing anger all afternoon for three hours because part of him knows that Kevin is telling the truth. Roger does not have the ego strength to deal with hearing that truth. When he, and, and he's really worked up now. And in that emotional state, as extreme as it is, this is something I understand about people who have personality structures like this. It, it, it does make sense in Roger's head in the moment that Kevin has done something to him. Roger does believe Kevin has done something to him. He may not believe literally what he's saying here, but emotionally he absolutely believes that Kevin has actively harmed him. Um, and bad enough to get the police involved. I mean, it's deranged, but welcome to borderline. I don't know what you're capable of. Roger says. Yeah, we know Roger is a gay man. This is a feminine, this is feminine reputation destruction, what he's doing here. Very female move. Also a very gay male move. Reputation destruction is just as common among gay men as it is among women. <laughs> ah, we are coming up on the on the final one here. This is what Kevin left him with. LOL, exclamation, exclamation. You sad borderline. You won't press shit. You are still going out of your way to message me right now. Would a victim of harassment do that? No one did anything to you. No one's on drugs. No one here but you is dangerous. You have a severe cluster B personality disorder. You lie. You reverse the truth. You project. You gaslight. You really could not be a more textbook case of borderline personality disorder than you are. Do whatever you like. But now I'm telling you not to contact me any further. Now, again, as a reminder, I don't recommend Kevin's tactic to you unless you are prepared to deal with the blowback. And Kevin is. Kevin is a big boy who can take care of himself. He knows what he's seeing. He knows how to deal with this. But this is not the way to stop contact, actually. What you want to do is simply withdraw. Don't answer the texts. If you can't stop yourself from answering the texts, then block the person to prevent yourself from continuing to engage. Now, this is not the first time that Roger has melted down with Kevin like this. And it's not the first time that Kevin has told him candidly about himself the way he did here. Um, this is a relationship-ending way to leave a conversation. Um, but, you know, again, remember, being this candid to somebody like this is highly provocative. Um, and I don't recommend it unless you are very, very certain that the person you're dealing with is not dangerous and is not going to keep... Um, stoking the drama and perhaps involving you in legal consequences. Now, a borderline or a narcissist who gets this kind of message, many of them are going to likely be motivated to take actual revenge. These people get really, really angry and vindictive. 
Um, so bear that in mind. What Kevin did, I say purely descriptively, he inflicted a narcissistic injury on Roger. He wounded his ego. He hit him where he lives. And what's Roger's future likely to be if he continues to process emotion and express it this way? Let me do, well, let me tell you what Roger looks like. And I'm not even trying to make fun here. It's, it's just it's the way it is. Kevin showed me his picture. I'd never seen the guy before. I'd seen some of his texts, but never seen his picture. Screams borderline personality disorder. Yes, I know. Yes, I know. You can't diagnose based on a picture. I get it, right? But he's, I don't know, 35 years old, very, very thin gay man, um, a little awkward looking, neon bleached hair, like, you know, like, like I bleached my hair. I want you to notice that I have bleached blonde hair. Um, neck tattoos, upper chest tattoos, really strange ones, little hearts and, and, and stuff like that, that he specifically features. He wants you to see them because he wears these uh, skimpy, very feminine tank tops, like spaghetti strap, almost tank tops. Um, I mean, and he's got the big, the big cluster B eyes, the big wide open eyes in the selfies. Right? You know, normal people don't take selfies like this. Borderlines do. So what is his future likely to be? Emotional turmoil, more emotional turmoil, repeated job loss, loneliness, likely drug or alcohol addiction, which he probably already has. And sadly, a shortened lifespan because of the way he lives and chronic diseases or stress that's going to get him. Or potentially suicide. Um, borderline personality disorder is the mental illness with the highest, and I, 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 I ask you to forgive me before I say this word because I don't mean it with the connotations that it might sound like. Borderline personality disorder is the mental illness with the highest successful suicide completion rate. About 10% of diagnosed borderlines do end up killing themselves. It's higher to my knowledge, than any other mental illness that gets tracked this way. It can be a death sentence. So that is your lesson. Um, if you've experienced anything like this, you want to talk about it, leave a comment underneath this video. Um, if you've got a person in your life like this, or somebody that reminds you of this, you want to talk to somebody about it privately, you can book an hour with me at joshuaslocum.net. That brings us to the end of Disaffected again. First show of 2024. Happy New Year. We'll see you next week.